0: This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. So on today's podcast episode, I am super excited to have Steph from Mind Food. Steph, welcome. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really
1: excited to be on the show. Apart from psychology, I love fitness and health. So I can't wait
0: to what we dig into today. Yes, neither can I. Now First of all, your last name is the same last name as my mum's maiden name. So I want to ask you, my mum is Greek Cypriot. Are you Cypriot? Yes, I actually am. Maybe we're related. Maybe we are. How funny is that? I guess there are a few Georgios around the place, but when I saw it, I was like, oh, I wonder we may be distant cousins and maybe that's why I was drawn to you. Who knows? Yeah.
1: How funny. (laughs) There's a lot of us around. We get around Georgios.
0: There I can't escape us. All right. Well, I'm I'm super excited to get stuck into this um, podcast episode because I know the value that you are going to bring is going to be incredibly insightful for a lot of the listeners. So tell us a little bit about you, what you do, I guess your qualifications and what you're passionate about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a registered psychologist for over seven years now, and I've worked in lots of different fields. I've worked in the public space, private practice. I've worked in prisons. I've worked with youth, uh, with couples. So I've, I've done everything. But what has really fascinated me and what I'm passionate about is working with women, with eating disorders and other comorbid conditions because i think being a woman and having gone through my own eating disorder that's what inspired me to become a psychologist and throughout that journey i've yeah got the degree of a psychologist i've also completed my clinical psychology masters so i'm on my way to become a clinical psychologist i'm also a board approved supervisor so i supervise psychology students on their journey and a published author as well so i have published a book food jail breaking the
0: bars of binge eating Amazing. So you're a busy girl. A little bit. (laughs) Yeah, that's really incredible. And I love to hear that it's probably come what sounds like it's come from a place of understanding because you've been there before. Would you say Um, that initially you wanted to pursue psychology because you wanted to understand why you found yourself in that situation or what was the motivation behind pursuing this career? And this, I suppose, the eating disorder space as well.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I really enjoyed psychology in high school. I really connected with the subject and in high school is when my difficulty started with food and I love psychology and I knew that's it. I want to be a clinical psychologist. I knew it so clearly, but then I thought, how can I help people when I'm messed up? So I sought help and I sorted it out, but I was always fascinated in psychology and I just, I felt good at it but at the same time i had my own psychological issues so i guess i wanted to get a better understanding of that but also help myself so i could then help others not go through the same thing i did
0: yeah and i can i just say i think your content is great because it's really relatable i think sometimes like if i think about my own experiences working with a psychologist it's so clinical so you go to an office and you feel like you feel like you're a bit crazy, right? There's this other person here who seems to have it all together and you're this crazy person that's going to say, Hey, I need help. I feel like I'm losing my mind where your content is just fun. It's relatable and it kind of breaks down those barriers. So well done on that. I love it. And I think everyone listening and we'll make sure to link all of your socials in the podcast show notes, but really incredible content. And I want to just dive straight into things. So Today we really want to focus on binge eating disorder. The first thing I want to ask is, what is the what actually qualifies somebody to have clinically diagnosed binge eating disorder? Because what I find with our girls that we coach is it's really common for you know for you to for you to go to an event or eat out somewhere and feel like you've eaten past the point of feeling comfortable, or you know you're feeling full and somehow. You can squeeze more food in, or you kind of feel somewhat out of control around food when you're eating in portion sizes. And obviously we all overeat at different points, right? That's just completely normal. It's a part of life. But when does it then tip over into being something a little bit more serious?
1: And it's such a important thing to talk about because eating disorders and disordered eating occur on a spectrum. And on the far end of the spectrum, you have eating disorders, whereas on the other end of the spectrum... You might have some disordered eating, but it's not a clinical diagnosis. So what does the difference entail? So basically when we speak about a binge, binge eating, it's eating a large amount of food in a short period, period of time, which is generally two hours or less. And it's associated with feelings of a loss of control, guilt, and shame. And We all overeat from time to time, right? We're not talking about the time you have a Christmas dinner and you're like, oh, I'm so full. I could just take a nap. We're talking about eating an amount of food that is uncomfortable. You feel very full. You're unable to stop consuming food despite feeling a strong desire to stop. Uh, You sometimes eat alone because you're worried about being embarrassed about how much you're eating Uh, You also feel like you can't stop eating and even though the food doesn't taste good and you don't want it, it's almost as though you're driven to keep eating and other people report eating much more rapidly than normal. So I guess the difference between say overeating or overindulging and having a binge eating disorder is the frequency and intensity of the binge eating and the impairment it has on your life. So it would have to impair your job, for example, maybe it's interfering with your productivity or being able to turn up to your job on time. It's interfering with your relationship. You get really stressed over going out for dinner or eating in front of people. So it has to have a level of impairment and have a lot of, I guess, feelings of guilt, shame, loss of control, and visibly feeling embarrassed about your body and Eating disorders all come from this over-evaluation of weight, shape, and size. So for anyone who's, I guess, worried, know that binge eating can be healthy, right? It's okay to overindulge every now and then. It's Emotional eating has been demonized by the, I guess, diet culture. And there's nothing wrong with emotional eating time to time, as long as it's not your only coping mechanism. And I know some women or men or whoever's listening to this will think, what? I thought emotional eating was the devil, but I want to put it out there that it is okay. It is okay. But yes, when it goes too far, it can be a clinical binge eating disorder.
0: Right. I always say to my girls that food shouldn't control your life. And I know for me and my own experiences with an eating disorder, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, I never had diagnosed binge eating disorder, but I remember parts of my life where I felt so out of control around certain foods and I remember just eating and eating, not enjoying what I was eating. And it was almost like a bit of a self-sabotage as well. And knowing that as soon as you stop, that's when those feelings of guilt and shame are going to hit. And it's almost like, I just want to continue to eat because I don't want to feel how I know I'm going to feel once this stops. And it's a very horrible feeling to be in because after that, you begin to panic and think, oh my goodness, look at all this damage that I've done now, what do I do? And then you go back to really restricting and then your food focus constantly. And the cycle is just so incredibly vicious what I mm. want to talk to you about is, and you just touched on it then, around why girls get binge eating disorder. And I guess maybe like any kind of eating disorder. Really, are there any main root causes of um, of girls suffering, or I guess girls and guys mm. suffering from an eating disorder?
1: Yeah, I mean, whilst the exact cause is unknown, there are risk factors to developing an eating disorder, such as binge eating disorder. And I will just mention as well, Binge eating disorder is different from, say, bulimia or other types of eating disorders in that it doesn't have compensatory behavior. So what I mean by that is people eat large amount of foods and then they're not engaging in self-induced vomiting or laxative use or excessive exercise. And it is one of the most, I don't know if popular is the right word, but I guess the number of people in in Australia with an eating disorder at any given time is 1 million, which is 4% of the population. But binge eating disorder is um, one of the highest along with other specified feeding and eating disorders. It affects, you know, 6% of the total population. So I just want to say it is very common and it doesn't have uh, compensatory behavior with it. But to answer your question, what causes binge eating? The risk factors they've found is there is a genetic component so they've found that people with binge eating disorder they may actually have an increased sensitivity to dopamine so we know that dopamine is a feel-good hormone it's um, sensible for reward and pleasure and they've actually found that dopamine levels in someone's brain with binge eating disorder is different and they're more kind of sensitive to it so when they're eating the food the dopamine rush is, more than say someone without binge eating disorder which reinforces the behavior as well so that's one risk factor gender women have been found to be more at risk they've also found body image people who have a negative body image are more vulnerable to developing binge eating disorder and binge eating is a risk factor so people who have a history of binge eating so you might start to binge eat to manage something completely unrelated to food. It could be trauma. It could be ADHD. It could be regulating your emotions. And then that could lead to binge eating disorder in the future. And then I guess the most important or most significant one coming to the light recently is emotional trauma. They've found stressful life events such as abuse, death, separation from a family member or a car accident, even childhood bullying. These types of events have been known as risk factors, to increase someone's susceptibility to developing binge eating disorder.
0: Wow. So, yeah, a wide range of things. And I'm thinking like anyone listening could probably tick off one of those things, like something has happened in their life that fits that criteria. And, you know, it may not manifest in binge eating, but it may manifest in other harmful ways, Um, whether that be, you know, some people choose alcohol abuse or drug abuse, I guess, the same goes that this is just another way to express whatever we have going on at a much deeper level. So I guess then that means moving forward, if if you really feel you've been diagnosed with binge eating disorder, is it really pivotal to make sure you kind of figure out that root cause and deal with that first? Or how do you go about it with your clients? That's such a great question because every case is different, but There is a special type of
1: therapy that I use called CBTE, which is Enhanced Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And depending on, I guess, what the client's goals are or what their desired outcome is, usually I will focus on looking at their eating. And I actually get them to track their eating for a period of time. It's not like a food diary or anything like that. It's more just monitoring when they're eating, what they're eating, just to pick up on patterns because I'm a big fan of what we measure, we can manage. And if we're seeing, okay, you're binging at night because you're starving all day, let's try to control the controllables. And the first thing I try to do is get people eating in a regular eating pattern because not eating for more than four hours puts you at risk of a binge. So if someone wants to manage binges or binge eating, the first thing to try to do is ask yourself, am I eating regularly so we want to target I guess your basic needs you know food water sleep all of that and then if the person does want to delve into trauma once they're stabilized and we have enough I guess strategies if they're feeling um, emotionally dysregulated we can work on the trauma but the first thing if they're coming to me for specific eating disorder treatment we look at the eating
0: Mm. yeah and it must it must be really difficult I think it would be very difficult I mean I've had an eating disorder in the past as well and the hard thing about that is it becomes like and uh, you know you would know this more than anybody it becomes a comfort to you and the thought of letting go of that even though the behavior is so self-destructive there's some kind of a comfort in it because you're somewhat in control and having to let go you know even just hearing you talk about eating more regularly throughout the day. And I see this with our girls as well. And even with myself, if I leave a really big gap of time of not eating, I'm going to overeat when I get food because I'm starving. Right. And I'm sure that if someone is suffering from binge eating disorder, that could be quite triggering that feeling as well, but it can be really difficult to implement those kinds of things. Right. Like, because it can be quite fearful um, Mm -hmm. of potentially, you know, whatever, whatever the person is, um, is worried about and what I find with girls when they feel um, the need to save all their calories for the evening is that they're, they're worried that what's going to happen is, is they're going to eat all this food earlier in the day and then they're still going to binge in the evening and they're going to be over their calories even more. Um, yes. And I'm sure that you know that it just doesn't work that way. When you start sure. to actually fuel your body properly, you're not so food focused. You're not constantly thinking about food and you just feel satiated and you don't really feel the need to then want to go and overeat.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think what happens is then you're putting yourself at biological and psychological risk by not eating because what happens is women or anyone who's restricted themselves in the past or at some point in their lives, their body has to trust them again. And your body doesn't know when you're going to starve it again. So anytime the body, the mind senses restriction, it's going to see a food that's going to satiate it quickly, such as, you know, sugar, carbs, whatever. And this is why people almost feel out of control when they do finally eat and they give in and the body just takes over because your body isn't meant to you know, be in a deficit forever. Your body is meant to hold onto weight and protect you. So if you've had a history of restriction, when you sense those same feelings, it can put you at risk for binge eating. And then what happens is when you eat something, which perhaps in the past you restricted, or if someone's going through active disordered eating now, There's this term called dietary rules. And what that means is, is people have rules around their eating, such as I shouldn't eat carbs at night, or I should eat most of my calories in the day. And it's the breaking of a dietary rule that can often set people onto a, a binge. So they think, oh, I ate a donut, I shouldn't have eaten that. I might as well keep binging. I'll eat all the donuts. And then that leads to guilt, which then leads to
0: restriction. And thus the vicious cycle continues. I'm actually so happy you brought that up because this is such a huge issue for our girls. We have heaps of girls come and work to us who just chronically try to undereat or diet. And as soon as they start to eat more, they become almost more stressed because they feel this urge, then their hunger increases. They're thinking about food more and they're like, my goodness, I can't stop eating. What's going on? When is this going to stop? And they almost want to retreat back to what they were doing. And I would love to know from your perspective, you sort of said like it's just a part of the process. And is that really how you deal with it? Do you just need to write it out? Is it a matter of time or should, would you recommend that particular person to get specific supports in place in order to um, really help them throughout that period? Really good point. So basically, if you've gone through a period of restriction, your body needs
1: to learn to eat again and to trust you again, and your hunger cues are going to be everywhere. So it's such an important time to have a lot of self-compassion, have a lot of acceptance, which I know can be so hard, especially when your body is changing. So if you're someone who's on, I guess, a body healing journey, or you're building a healthier relationship with food, do know that it does take time for your hunger to to level out because your body is just trying to find its set point. It is eventually going to, you know, come to an end. You're not going to be eating forever, but it's important. You listen to your body and your hunger because I work also with a lot of uh, young women and their mums will say to me, you know, she's eating so much and they try to control that and say, should you be eating that? You just ate because they're so scared that the child's going to binge. But I have to re-educate them and say, look, she is restricted for years and her body is finding its hunger again. So it is absolutely normal to feel hungry and take time to rebuild that relationship with your body. And weight gain may come with that and weight change may come with that. And I think that's a really challenging thing for people to accept and work with. They may get their eating right, but I think the the weight changes is potentially an area that can be problematic for people to work with.
0: Yeah. And I think that would be why most people avoid getting better because that's really their, their, their really big fear around all of this. But I guess if you can think about what you're currently doing at the moment and how miserable you are, you know, I always draw back on my own experience because, you know, Mm. that's the way that I can relate. But what was really cool is when I started to nourish my body properly, I did put on some body fat, but because i was nourishing my body better my mind was healthier and i thought more mm. logically about the situation and the weight gain although it was uncomfortable and there was a period of time where i needed to adjust my mindset and maybe accept my new body or become okay with it yes i i actually it actually became not my focus it was really strange it almost um it was almost like because I was feeding my mind, my mind was also getting healthier and my thoughts were also getting healthier. But that's really hard to um, try to talk to somebody about or convince them about when in the depths of this really disordered eating or this real irrational fear of weight gain.
1: Yes, and you are absolutely right because when you starve your body, you starve your mind. And say you're eating no carbs or low carbs, that affects your cognitive capacity. That affects your concentration, your attention, your irritability, your anxiety, depression, everything. And when you're feeling all those things, you can't think clearly. You don't have the mental capacity to say, it's okay, I can eat this today, right? Whereas when you actually start nourishing your body, you're nourishing your brain and you're able to identify the eating disorder voice and then the healthy part of you that wants to overcome that can actually, you know, rationalize with the illogical thoughts because, yes, you're feeding your brain, you're nourishing your body and you can think more clearly. So you're right. Your brain does get healthier
0: too. Mm, So good. I am I really want to also squeeze in another question here because you did touch on it earlier and that was about ADHD and um, the fact that, you know, that can be, I believe they call it a comorbidity. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yes, Okay. And is that because of the dopamine hit people can get from eating? I think the the
1: comorbidity we see between ADHD is mainly with bulimia and binge eating. I believe it's in an attempt to regulate your emotions because with ADHD, there's quite a lot of emotional dysregulation, which means people kind of struggle to use useful strategies to keep their emotions in check and eating helps regulate your emotions, right? And when you eat certain foods, it does have a calming effect on the brain. So when you have carbohydrates, for example, it does, it releases the feel-good hormone serotonin. It makes you feel calm and it makes you feel happy essentially. And people who do have ADHD, if it's the you know hyperactivity or impulsivity subtype, Um, maybe using it indirectly, using food to regulate their emotions. As a coping
0: mechanism.
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm just trying to think with bulimia as well, it also could be the compensatory behavior of not wanting to gain weight or some people feel it's a release or even a punishment. Every case really is different, but I think it does come down to that regulation of emotions. Some people think it's punishment, but every case is is different. But I do want to emphasize that they don't go away on their own. These eating behaviors, you really do need help and um, support around it, but you can definitely get a better life. You don't have to live with this forever.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's, it's very comforting to know that there is hope. And I think when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to believe that you feel like this is just you, this is going to be the rest of your life. And that's a really miserable thought to think because the mindset that you're in and the life that you lead when an eating disorder is controlling you is horrendous. Like, your life is stripped from you. Really. It's, it's all you think about. It's like, I guess like an addiction. I always think about like the way that I used to think about food was like mm-hmm. how maybe a gambler would think about going to the pokies, you know, it's just, everything's yeah. food related and it's a horrible way to live. And even myself, I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, how am I ever going to get better? but you absolutely can. And for me, it was absolutely seeking out therapy. It was a whole mix of different things. And that's kind of where I wanted to lead into next is if there is somebody listening now, you know, and they're really resonating with what we're talking about and maybe are identifying, hey, maybe I do have an issue with food. What are the first steps you recommend them taking um, to get help? Yeah, that's such a good question. Well, I think
1: first speaking to your doctor about it, because there are special mental health plans that you can get for eating disorders. And they also come with dietitian support if you need to speak to a dietitian as well. And it's all covered on Medicare if you are in Australia. But I do recommend seeking out a doctor or a psychologist who has expertise in the area. Unfortunately, not all psychologists are trained to treat eating disorders. And this is why I think it goes under the radar because eating disorders, when you're not eating properly, you're irritable, you're anxious, you're depressed, you have all these other symptoms. And I think it can often just go under the radar or get misdiagnosed because people don't ask for it because it's normalized to Mm. diet and not eat properly. So speak to a professional in the area of it. Um, There's definitely a lot of really great resources out there. Um, There's my book, Food Jail, Breaking the Bars of Binge Eating. There's another fantastic book if you're trying to escape diet culture called um, Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. Or the book Brain Over Binge is very good as well. So if you're not ready to speak to someone, you can, I guess, read a book or get a resource. But do know that. It doesn't get better. And I mean, if you're nervous, you don't have to work on it straight away in therapy. You can explore that ambivalence because there is going to be that part of you that is willful or doesn't want to get better because you're fearful of weight gain. But know that you can't lose weight in an eating disordered mindset. And I think that's the biggest thing people struggle with. They want to lose weight or go on a transformational journey, but you just can't do it. If you have an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. it's two opposing goals.
0: That is, that is a very, very important point. And I think people need to understand that to put aside that focus. That's not the focus right now. Weight loss is not the focus. It's actually healing your mind, building that better relationship with your body and with food, the rest comes like then weight loss is easy, but without actually fixing that, then you're never going to achieve this goal that you're wanting to achieve over here. But Thank you so much for that. I've loved having you on. This has been very (laughs) insightful. Now, I want to know, I want to let the listeners know where they can find you. So where are you most active? Yes, sure. So TikTok is my main psychology page. It's where I do all
1: my videos and all of that. So if you head on over to TikTok, it's Steph. And then the same is on my Instagram. My Instagram is more eating, a little bit of my personal life. Uh, as well. On Instagram, it's mind food Steph. exactly the same. And Instagram's more of my personal life and lots of eating because I love to show that you can have your cake and eat it too. And you can have goals, whether that's, you know, strength goals or gym goals whilst working on the best version of you, but doing it from a place of self-acceptance and respect and body positivity. And it is possible, but I think if you are on that other end, make sure you seek out help. Uh, I do have an online clinic if people are interested. It's called mindfoodpsychology.com and my team there are amazing and you can reach out. If you've got any questions, we'd be happy to, to answer. And one more thing, I did yeah. want to offer your followers uh, a discount. If they wanted to grab a copy of Food Jail, they yeah. can use the code
0: mindfood20 to get a discount on my website, com. Ah, that is very generous of you. We'll pop that all in the podcast um, show notes. Everyone go and check it out. Thank you again, Steph. I've loved having you on.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I love what you're doing. Keep up all the TikToks. They're amazing.
0: Thank you. (laughs)